Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, for agnostics and unbelievers, for people of all faiths, and for people of no faith. Now, we've been studying the epistle of James and just to go back briefly to what went on last week if you remember uh, we said you will always have your trials but try to treat them as a happy privilege because uh, suffering is part of our training uh, through the things that we suffer and through enduring them we learn to be patient and we learn to have faith in the one who permits suffering in our lives. And then we also study that tremendous uh, passage where it says, if anybody at all wants wisdom, anybody, let him ask God for it in a single-minded manner, and God will give it to him. When I myself asked for wisdom some years ago, the first thing that happened to me was a tremendous change in my attitude towards women. We have grown up in, in a culture that exploits women tremendously. They're used and dumped like paper handkerchiefs. And when I prayed for wisdom, it was revealed to me within a very short time that there is no record in the Christian scripture of a woman betraying Christ. All the men ran away, but the women stood beneath the cross. The women washed his body and prepared it for burial. The women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. The women were the first evangelists, the first ones to bring the message that the Christ was risen from the dead. Elizabeth said yes to God, and John the Baptist was born, and Mary, the new Eve, the crowning glory of all free women, said yes to God, and Jesus the Christ was born. So that was the message last week. Now this week we're going to take a profound look at temptation, according to James. Now, temptation is not sin, and it's very important to impress that upon your mind. You could be tempted morning, noon, and night with the most horrible blasphemies against the saints, against God himself, and never sin. Temptations are simply invitations, and these invitations come from the world, they come from your own flesh, and they come from the devil. They never come from God. Now, we're taking up the passage here at James chapter 1, verse 13. Never, says James, never when you have been tempted say, God sent the temptation. God cannot be tempted to do anything wrong, and he does not tempt anybody. Everyone who is tempted is attracted and seduced by his own wrong desire. Then the desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it too has a child, and the child is death. Now, you see the warning from James here. Don't say that God sent the temptation. When a man sins, he is seduced and led astray by his own wrong desire. I remember one time in my own journey through life, I was questioned by a church authority. I had said from the pulpit that women did not tempt men. And the person said, 
you know, the, the authority said, what do you mean? I mean, didn't Eve tempt Adam? Actually, if you uh, listen to the Adam and Eve story, they were together, and together they fell into sin. But anyway, this passage here says that everyone who is tempted is attracted and seduced by his own wrong desire. Now, I don't mean to get dramatic here, but speaking as a male, uh, even in the presence of a, we'll say, most gorgeous, uh, beautiful-looking woman uh, who was acting seductively uh, towards myself, even if I yield to that, it's not her sin. I am seduced and led astray by my own wrong desire. So temptation then comes from within. At one stage, um, Jesus was talking about uh, food, and some of the leaders of the people at the time of Jesus pronounced certain foods clean and certain foods unclean. And Jesus said to them, hear this and try to understand. Nothing that goes into a man makes him impure. It doesn't matter what you eat. Camel hump, chitlins, pig's feet, uh, calamari, scungili, uh, potatoes. None of these things make you impure because they go into the stomach and are eventually cast out into the sore. But what comes out of a man, out of the deep, recesses of the heart come pride and covetousness and lust and anger and envy and gluttony and sloth. All these evils come from within and they make a man impure. So one of the first sources then of sin is our own wrong desires. Now another place where sin comes from um, can be uh, Satan. Now, we've touched on this in an earlier program, but since it's my own personal favorite uh, parable from the Hebrew Scripture, I'd like to deal with it again. It's the story of Cain and Abel. I'm fascinated with this passage of Scripture. I myself am very much like Cain. I have a ferocious temper, but by the grace of God, and only by his grace, uh, it has been controlled. I do have Cain's blood in my veins, and Cain was a murderer. Now, taking up Genesis chapter 4 again, the man, meaning Adam, had intercourse with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. I have acquired a man with the help of God, she said. She gave birth to a second child, Abel, the brother of Cain. Now, Really, the story of Adam and Eve uh, is a separate story, and the story of Cain and Abel is also a separate story. But the biblical writer uh, just makes a connection between the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Cain and Abel, uh, just by saying that they were the children of Adam and Eve. But that's not the point. That's irrelevant to the issue. The issue is that we have two brothers, and both of them are priests even though one is a shepherd and one happens to be a farmer. Now, Abel became a shepherd and he kept flocks, while Cain was a farmer and he tilled the soil. Time passed and Cain, uh, the farmer, the priest, brought some of the produce of the soil as an offering for the Lord God of hosts, while Abel, uh, the shepherd and the priest, for his part, brought the firstborn of his flock and some of their fat as well. The Lord God looked with favor on Abel and on his offering, but he did not look with favor on Cain and on his offering. 
Now, it's of the utmost importance that you truly hear what's been said here in the scripture. Many, many, many people mishear this passage. I've heard them say to me over the years, Father, how come? How come? Uh, that God did not accept uh, Cain's sacrifice. Well, the truth of the matter is, it was Cain that he didn't accept. Cain's heart is in the wrong place. If you look at the text again, but God looked with favor on Abel. First of all, he looked on the man, on Abel, and on his offering. But he did not look with favor on Cain and on his offering. Now, this would be like, again, if I were to give you um, a voucher to eat at one of your favorite uh, restaurants in town. And as I was giving you the voucher, I said to you, I hope you choke. Now, would you accept the offering from me? Well, in the same way, um, God did not accept the offering of Cain because he had anger and bitterness in his heart. Actually, the scripture says he was angry and downcast, the first mention of depression in the Bible. But he did not look with favor on Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and downcast. The Lord God asked Cain, Why are you angry and downcast? If you are well disposed, if your heart is in the right place, if you desire the right thing, ought you not to lift up your head? But if you are ill disposed, if your disposition is wrong, is not sin at the door like a crouching beast hungering for you, which you must master? Now, in this particular passage, um, the temptation is described as something coming from the outside. He said, is not sin at the door like a raging beast, which you must master? Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out. And while they were in the open country, Cain sat upon his brother Abel and killed him. Now he actually, according to the testimony of John in the first epistle of John, he cut his brother's throat. So murder then uh, is, is something that Satan invites people to do. God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? I do not know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? The Lord God asked, Listen to the sound of your brother's blood crying out to me from the ground. Now be accursed and driven from the ground that has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood at your hands. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield you any of its produce. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer over the earth. Then Cain said to the Lord God, My punishment is greater than I can bear. See, today you drive me from this ground. I must, I must hide from you and be a fugitive and a wanderer over the earth. Why, whoever comes across me will kill me. Very well then, God replied, if anyone kills Cain, sevenfold vengeance will be taken for him. So the Lord God put a mark on Cain to prevent whoever might come across him from striking him down. Cain left the presence of God and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, my names are Patrick Joseph. So the issue here is not um, Cain and Abel. The issue is uh, any man who is tempted to kill another. So it's like uh, somebody called Patrick and somebody called Joseph, both of them brothers and both of them priests, and one of them uh, resentful and angry and downcast 
uh, rises up and kills his brother. That's what the story is about. It's like any of the murderers we have on death row, like Charles Manson, um, these people. God wants to save them, and before ever any of these murderers do what they do, the voice of God calls to them and asks them not to kill. But the voice of Satan is heard by them and listened to by them. So God even says to them, you have to master this terrible, shocking temptation that is rising up inside of you. In a New Testament passage, um, God says, the trials that you have had to bear are no more than people normally have. You can trust God not to let you be tried beyond your strength. And with any trial, he will give you a way out of it and the strength to bear it. So I hope you can see at this stage that temptation um, comes to us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And with the help of God, he calls on every one of us to master it. Now, the same gentle Jesus who died on the cross that we might have life and have it to the fullest had shocking and terrible things to say to people who led children astray. Now, listen to this, please. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, verses 5 through 10. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But anyone who is an obstacle to bring down one of these little ones who have faith in me would be better drowned in the depths of the sea with a great millstone round his neck. Alas for the world that there should be such obstacles. Obstacles indeed there must be, but alas for the man who provides them. If your hand or your foot should cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter into life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eyes should cause you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the, into the fires of hell. See that you never despise any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven are continually in the presence of my Father in heaven. Now, most people, even his enemies, would regard Jesus as gentle and humble of heart. Yet, listen to what he says here uh, to anybody who leads, a ch leads astray a child, the people who, who prey on children, who molest them, the people who kill children, the people who kill them in the womb. He says, it would be better for you if you had never been born. It would be better if a great millstone were tied around your neck and you'll be drowned in the depths of the sea. The same gentle Christ who died. So if you have been involved with this type of uh, terrible thing, then now is the day to repent. Now is the day to turn to Christ and say, forgive, Lord, forgive, forgive. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there's no list on the cross. There's no list saying, you know, I have forgiven everybody except, 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 except. That's not on the cross. Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. Now, the next section we look at is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And I'll read it to you. Remember this, my dear brothers, be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to rouse your temper. 
God's righteousness is never served by man's anger, so do away with all the impurities and bad habits that are still left in you. Accept and submit to the word which has been planted in you and can save your souls. But you must do what the word tells you and not just listen to it and deceive yourselves. To listen to the word and not obey it is like looking at your own features in a mirror and then after a quick look going off and immediately forgetting what you looked like. But the man who looks steadily at the perfect law of freedom and makes that his habit, not listening and then forgetting, but actively putting it into practice, will be happy in all that he does. Nobody must imagine that he is religious while he still goes on deceiving himself and not keeping control over his tongue. Anyone who does this has the wrong idea of religion. Pure, unspoilt religion in the eyes of God our Father is this, coming to the help of orphans and widows when they need it and keeping oneself uncontaminated by the world. The most common sin that I hear as a confessor is, uh, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It is six weeks since my last confession. I lost my temper. I got angry in traffic with people. I remember one time uh, driving out of the parking lot at Queen of Peace Church on State Road 200, and I thought I had plenty of time. I was turning off to the left, so this uh, man, I suppose in his 30s, um, was coming towards me, but I th thought I had enough time to get out of his way, so I drove out, and I didn't, apparently. It caused him to slow down, and it made him angry, and he gave me the famous finger. Now, uh, the fault was mine, and I'll admit it. It wasn't my intention uh, to to anger him or to cause him to slow down. But I imagine because he was angry, uh, perhaps the rest of his day was an angry day. Uh, now he becomes a bad driver because he's angry. Perhaps he goes home that day and is angry with his wife and children. God alone knows. But the the fault originally was mine, unintentionally. Um, I caused him to slow down uh, by taking a left turn, and etc., etc., etc. So you can see here where James said, Remember this, my dear brothers, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to rouse your temper. You see, temper can become uh, blown up out of all proportions. Let me give you uh, a little story as an example. Mr. Smith had killed his wife and his defense was temporary insanity. He was in the witness stand, and his lawyer asked him to describe the crime in his own words. Your Honor, he said, I am a quiet man of regular habits who lives at peace with all the world. Each day I wake up at 7, have breakfast at 7.30, show up for work at 9, leave work at 5, come home at 6, find supper on the table, eat it, read the papers, watch television, then retire for the night until the day in question. Here his breathing accelerated and a look of fury came upon him. Go on, said the lawyer quietly. Tell this court what happened. On the day in question I woke up at 7 as usual, had my breakfast at 7.30, got to work at 9.00 left at five, got home at six, and I discovered to my dismay that supper wasn't on the table. 
There was no sign of my wife either, so I searched through the house and found her in bed with a strange man, so I shot her. Describe your emotions at the time you killed her, said the lawyer, anxious to make his point. I was in an uncontrollable rage. I just went out of my mind. Your Honour, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he shouted, pounding the arm of his chair with his fist. When I get home at six, I absolutely demand that supper be ready on the table. Now, silly little story, I suppose, but anger and the expression of anger can get out of control and it can destroy a person. Now, James goes on then and he says to us that our job in life as believers in God is to get rid of all the impurities and all the bad habits that are still left in us. We have to die to what is sinful and live a life of peace and harmony. And so he says then we have to submit to the word, submit to the message that God has spoken to the world through Jesus, submit to the commandments. He warns us that if all we do is listen to it, and not putting it into practice, then we are deceiving ourselves. He says, to listen to the word and not obey it is like looking at your own features in a mirror, and then after a quick look going off and immediately forgetting what you looked like. So when we hear any message, whether it's thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, or with your whole mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. If all you do is listen to it, you deceive yourself. And that kind of, of, uh, that kind of religion is absolutely useless. Jesus uh, pointed out that there are four uh, different types of people who listen to his message. And he compares it to four different types of ground. Now, I want you, if you can, to imagine Jesus standing in the bow of a boat and a crowd gathered around him on the beach. And way back behind them, uh, Jesus notices a man uh, walking through a field uh, spreading seed like he's wearing a type of apron with pockets in it, much like a carpenter's apron uh, to hold nails in. And as this man is walking along, he's throwing seed to the left and to the right, and hopefully it's been distributed across the ground by the wind. And then uh, Jesus begins to preach, and he said, Imagine a sower going out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the edge of the path, or on the hard ground, and immediately the birds came and ate them up. Other seed fell on patches of rock, where they found little soil, and sprang up straight away, because there was no depth of earth. But as soon as the sun came up, they were scorched, and not having any roots, they withered away. So that's seed that fell on very shallow ground. And Others fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on rich soil and produced their crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus said, listen, anyone who has ears. Now, do you see what he's doing here? He's comparing 
the four different types of people to four different types of ground. And his disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about, so he, he explained it to them. He said, you therefore are to hear the parable of the sower and what it means. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom without understanding, the evil one comes and carries off what, what was sown in his heart. Now, this is like somebody would say coming accidentally or design, by design to a church and the preacher says, um, you know, God wants us to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, pray for those who persecute us, and you just don't understand it or are not prepared to listen to it. And what happens at that stage then is the devil comes and he takes the word out of your heart. There may be a brother or a sister in your family or somebody who real or imagined has harmed you 20, 30 years ago and you're full of anger and resentment towards that person and it kind of blinds you. So when you come to church and you hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you, um, without understanding it, the devil comes in immediately and takes the word out of your heart. And Jesus compares that then to the uh, seed that falls on the hard ground, like on a pathway. As soon as it hits the ground, the birds of the air come down and eat it. And so it bears no fruit. Then there's another type of person who comes to church and um, they hear the message, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. And they're kind of shallow. At that moment they think, wow, this is a great sermon. And they are determined when I get home um, to call up and make peace with a brother or a sister um, that they have that they're in a fight with. But by the time they get to the parking lot of the church, it's all forgotten, and they lose their temper again with somebody in the parking lot because they're not getting out of the parking lot fast enough. Now, this kind of person is shallow. They're the type of person who comes up to you after church and say, that's the great sermon, Father or Pastor. They needed that. Shallow, no depth. Nothing stays with them. Like if I give them a message, for instance, look, if you give to the poor, you give to Jesus Christ himself. Well, they think it's wonderful, but, you know, they don't do anything about it. Now, the third type of person who comes to church, Jesus compares this to the seed that falls among the thorns. And the thorns and the wheat grow up together, but the thorns choke it off. And this is the type of man or woman who comes to church and, for instance, I might say, look, watching pornography is a horrible sin in the sight of God, which it is, and it's particularly horrible uh, when your children become contaminated by the horror that you are uh, involving yourself in. Pornography is adultery. You could be sitting there watching it on TV, and that's adultery. It's, 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 it's so revolting in the presence of God. Now you're sitting there hearing this in church and you watch pornography, so you choke it off. You say, ah, this is the 90s, you know, this is uh, free speech. Um, who does that priest think he is? And I can't stand his accent to begin with. And you choke off the word 
and therefore it never grows inside of you and you go back to watching your pornography and you grow more and more disgusting and more and more filthy and unclean in the sight of God and in the sight of men. And finally there's the person who comes to church who hears the word. Uh, it could be any word. It could be like for instance um, sponsor a child through the Christian Foundation for Children and Aging in Guatemala at $20 a month. And uh, you say, oh God, that priest is always asking us to help people. But then you take a look at your life and you realize that you spend 10 times that much every month on cigarettes and alcohol, on going out to dinner, and you wrestle with it, and you say, yeah, it's, it's, it's about time that I died to drinking, and I died to uh, watching soap operas, and it's about time I tried to struggle to give up cigarettes, and I'll sponsor two children, because I'll be sponsoring Jesus himself. So that's what James is saying to us when he asks us to submit and listen to the word. If all we do uh, is listen to it and not put it into practice, we're deceiving ourselves. Well, thank you again for listening to Burning Hearts. And God willing, we will visit again next week. Shalom. Faith Fit Radio and the Dice of Orlando presented Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.